jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! Gay I got some shit to say! <laughs> That's the best kind of podcast! <laughs> because last night I had a thought. I don't know, it was late, and I thought to myself, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. Are you really? A little bit. But that's like that's like that's like the worst thing you can do to yourself as a podcaster. <laughs> oh, I know, as a human in a way. If you're that's a true. good human. Well, yeah. I think it's it's also but I'm also simultaneously fired up because I start I decided to start writing companion pieces for our episodes on my blog, Final Girl, FinalGirl.rocks, if you've never visited Final Girl. So on the one hand, I'm like all jazzed up because I, you know, sometimes I don't say everything I want to say on these episodes. But last night I was like, just shut up already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm imagining Stacy like in your hover round and you look in the... <laughs> Perfect. You, you look in the mirror and then Gollum Stacy comes out and tells you to just shut <laughs> up just already. Shut up. Yeah. Why do you Why do you think you should shut up? I don't know. I have this weird thing where it's like I make stuff and do things that I want people to see and interact with. And I love talking to people about things. But then on the other hand, I'm also like, who do you think you are making those things and getting people to look at you? Just shut up. No one cares. You know, OK, I get that. I mean, as actually, that makes a lot of sense. I think as an Aries, I don't personally get it, but I do. <laughs> I'm a Gemini, dude. <laughs> I Oh, OK, I get it now. <laughs> But like I run into this with internet culture so much because I they, I'm so tired of the internet and um yes. and that's that's why I do a podcast and have uh, radio shows and websites <laughs> and Facebooks and Insta- Instagrams. Um, yeah. But like whenever like I was thinking about that Christian missionary that went to the island the isolated island and you know he got killed and then everyone was sharing their opinion and i'm like who are we assholes to just decide whose death is valid and which ones we celebrate right yeah. uh, like regardless of how we feel about missionaries and colonialism like it's why do we all feel entitled to have an opinion about every single thing that happens and it's like it's the internet has given us all a voice yeah uh, and everybody has to put their opinion out there no matter what yeah it's like mm-hmm. Yeah, like what? What are you? What do you think about this? We're all waiting to know, right? And sometimes I love. I mean, that's always been one of my favorite things about Final Girl, especially in the old days before social media took off, is like the conversations that would happen in the comment section. Yes. I love it. I love talking about this shit. But then sometimes I'm like, can we all just shut up? Yeah, because cause... everything is an opinion, and even more now than ever, the news is just opinions. Even well, and that's the problem with like um, social commentary or like crit- art critique or film critique, any kind of pop culture critique. It's not even critique anymore or critical analysis. It's uh, it's think pieces. It's right. editorials. Like people, we're not writing actual analysis anymore. We're just just like vomiting up our own opinions and desires and and (laughs) longings yeah 
And some of it is trying to make connections with people. I understand. But then sometimes I'll see like, if something comes down my newsfeed and it's somebody saying like, I love this thing. I, if I hated that thing, I wouldn't like leave a con. I'd be like, that's good for you. I'm going to let you love yes. that. Yes. I don't have to con My opinion does not have to be out there that I didn't like it. If it's on my page, that's one thing. But like, when people have to comment to the contrary, but not to have a discussion or any, it's just like, just shut up. Yes. And that's, that's something that annoys me so much. And I get that all the time. Like I'll, I'll say like, I love this thing. And then a million dudes show up and say it's, it's bullshit. Like Suspiria. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I, I just go in and I just delete the comments. Cause I'm like, you can say that on your own page and I'm not going to come for you there, but this is my space where I just get to be my little femme troll venting into the void and, right. yeah. and it's going to happen. But to that end, everyone needs an opinion and it annoys me and irks me in the, in the age of social media, which is who, who knew that Facebook would actually be Skynet, not nuclear oh apocalypse, God. but Facebook is Skynet. Oh. Um, as portrayed by Helena Bonham Carter in Terminator Salvation. But <laughs> simultaneously, our opinion is the only one that matters. So it has now been spoken. This is true. I mean, I need to remember that, that we're not just spouting opinions here. We're spouting facts. We're we're um, we're creating cultural capital. Like yeah. it's a public service. It is. We're like the library or the postal service. Sponsored by viewers like you. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. Just sometimes I just want myself to shut up, I guess. I don't know. But, but I shouldn't, especially not now on this show. You shouldn't. And not on the show. Uh, because it would be hilarious if it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, yeah. what? Talking to my cat. <laughs> like... Yeah. I guess I just get sick of myself. And then I'm like, well, obviously, everyone else is probably sick of you, too. If you're feeling sick of yourself, then, uh -oh. oh, my God. But then That's I'm like, when Gollum shows up in the mirror. Yeah. 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 But then I'm like, also, they don't have to listen to your show. Like, if they listen to your show, it's because they want to listen to. I don't know. It's I am a rich tapestry, a coat of many colors. Just like the Dolly Parton TV special exactly. and its sequel. Exactly. Do you ever hear, like, do you ever hear turkeys popping up saying, they're all going to laugh at you? <laughs> in addition to the Gollum voices. Yeah, I look in the mirror and my face turns into a kaleidoscope. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I hear, well, it turns into what you see in the kaleidoscope, I guess. It doesn't turn into a kaleidoscope itself. But yeah, and then the turkey star goblin and I'm like, cancel your show. <laughs> cancel your show. No one cares. <laughs> and it's actually just a Russian hacker. They have great new mirror technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, that, you know. that said, Stacy, um, I am very grateful that you are updating Final Girl because it has been one of my favorite internet resources for oh, for heck. a very long time. And I'm very grateful that you're tying it into our episodes because I have the same issue where I'm like. I'm not actually, for, for having a podcast, I'm not very good at, at speaking on the spot. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's more. Me when, too. Yeah. When I, like, I express myself so much better in writing, but like when I, 
when I speak on the spot, like it's more emotional or more just like gut reactions or like more intuitive versus like the actual critical thinking and like the smart words come through in my writing. Yeah. Um, and that's what I started to feel weird about that too. So I'm like, I don't know. People like our show, which is incredible. But I, I'm just like, is it? I don't know. It was just a moment of weakness, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a moment of strength because it <laughs> it complements it, it expands it, and then like we can talk about just our sheer love for Jennifer and Thelma and Carrie, and then you can go write a really beautiful piece that like really breaks it down. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I can write something. <laughs> I thought it was beautiful, and oh, I you read it. Oh, thanks. I can't wait to read more. Oh, well, thanks. So I just said also people don't some people don't listen to podcasts. And I'm like, I can't just have fun if I'm going to. I mean, Final Girl has had periods of dormancy for sure, for one reason or another. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) See, I get sick of myself. That's the thing is the Internet has so many opinions and everything. And on the one hand, I'm like, my opinions are great. My opinions should be out there. On the other hand, I'm like, the world does not need another opinion about something. And so that was even before we started this show. I was like, does the world need another podcast? And a friend of mine was like, actually, like, the world definitely needs more, like, queer podcasts for sure. Yes. I'm like, does the world need to hear a queer woman's voice? I think so. Absolutely. And especially if it's fucking hilarious and insightful. Well, that's nice. I assume you're talking about me. I was talking about so. me. <laughs> Damn it. Stop no. stepping on my toes, Potter. <laughs> I mean, us. I don't know. This is all so vulnerable to put out into the world. I'll edit all this out. But I don't know. It's just, you know, I just, I don't know. It's good to self-reflect. Right? I, while saying that not all opinions matter because I am a Marcosite, um, while I truly want to be a blonde guy, I probably am a Marcosite. Um, I will say not all opinions matter except yours, and I want your opinion crammed into every void that exists. <laughs> fuck the void! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and fuck the void! That movie sucked! Time. Yeah! Yeah! I don't know. I like having opinions. I just, sometimes I'm like, just shut up. Yeah. That's all. That's all. I guess. <laughs> Look, I know I come across as like an 80s businesswoman. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? With my shoulder pads. And I'm like working out while I'm on my phone. On your and, your giant car phone? On my giant car phone, on my big car treadmill. <laughs> and I've got my shoulder pads in my blazer. And you think I'm like super self-confident and assured. But sometimes I'm like, just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> businesswoman. You know, we all go through that. I think because we're also, you know, internet savvy, but also cantankerous old people at heart. Right. I mean, I'm not calling myself Andy Rooney for no reason. And you know how hard it is to like, as an artist. To buy a pound of coffee these days. To buy a pound of coffee when I look at the can and it says 10 ounces. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Tell me you know. 
Carl, as like someone who produces a lot of art, like you know how hard it is to stay engaged and not get burned out. Like you want people to see your work, but also it's so exhausting. Yeah, or to just want to do something else entirely. Like it's yeah, yeah it's rough. It's hard. Yeah. It's emotionally that's taxing. And that's why I think the dance sequence in Suspiria where Olga gets break, <laughs> broken apart is a beautiful allegory for the taxing nature of art. God, Suspiria is so good. It's so good. She has so much to teach us. I bought a Suspiria pin from a place called All My Morbid Things on Instagram. You should check them out. And they, they make, you know how pins are popular now? What's, I, I, I've purveyed, I've purveyed some pins. What's the pin? It's Susie. Oh. You need to get on it. It's it's a really nice pin. Oh, I need the, it. On the way to my house. Oh, I need it. I need it's a, really nice. I need a pin of a little of little baby arm flapping in the wind. <laughs> oh my god! A pin that's the doll, and then there's like a little chain that connects to a little tiny arm. That's pin, our merch. So it's like two pin. Kind of like, do you remember Jane Child? No. Yeah, you no. Oh, she, I, I'm not going to talk about Jane Child. Why, why did I bring that up? Jane anyway, Child? She was, she had a song, don't want to fall in love. Oh, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, she had like a, a nose ring that connected to her earring. Oh, yes, and I'm so looking at pictures was... right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is she, look at her hair. She's, what a work of art she was. She's a baller. I assume she's still alive. Yeah, she is. But anyway, the pins would be connected as Jane Child's nose was connected to her ear. It's a perfect, <laughs> perfect allegory. A Timely. Mo- uh, a very contemporary <laughs> deep dive into the annals of nose ring <laughs> ephemera. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I for yeah. one vote the baby arm is our first merch. Oh my oh my yes. <laughs> Please. I don't know how we'll make it happen, but we will. Just yeah, pins are popular. Yeah, they are. Like, Do you have pins? I have a pin of you on my jacket. Yeah, thank you for wearing it to vote. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you sent it to me. <laughs> you have to wear whatever I send you. <laughs> I do. Why do you think I'm wearing this terry cloth running suit? <laughs> because I sent it to you. <laughs> you Stacey. sent it to me. And that was before I even brought it up. So I don't know how you knew, but you saw into my heart. Psychic Friends Network. Psychic Friends Network. <laughs> so wow. I have an 15 opinion. 15 minutes of neuroses. Anyway, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's... I, I like it because it all informs um, uh, why we're podcasting and not successful individuals. But I would say... <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I would say um, that I also have an opinion to, to share that no one needs to hear. But I, Please do. I, I have an enraged opinion. Uh-oh. Um, Hey, listen, it's me. <laughs> and Rudy. So the Golden Globes uh, were announced. Announced. Uh, obviously, yeah. obviously, the Golden Globes are a giant pile of of bullshit because, oh yeah, like no one takes them seriously. Like, like the Oscars are already a laughing stock, but the Golden Globes are like, like, like the People's Choice Awards at this point. Like maybe the Nickelodeon's Kids Choice Awards have more fart choice awards. The Fart Choice Awards. <laughs> yep. I wish they would combine. 
the Golden Globes and Oscars and Nick Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards into one. So like the celebrities oh, go great. up and they get slimed. Oh, that'd be so good. Wouldn't it be so cute? And then all the kids laugh and Rosie O'Donnell like hosts. It would be great. <laughs> Koosh balls. <laughs> yeah, she shoots Koosh balls through the slime. <laughs> shoots them at Glenn Close. <laughs> yeah, at Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I hate the Golden Globes. And basically, um, what 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 news comes out of these announcements? Like, no horror represented whatsoever. When I have to think back on the year, and we'll talk about this in the future, but, like, there wasn't a lot of good content in 2018, film-wise. No. And when I do think of the good content, and I think of performances that really hit home, I can think of two movies, one of, one, one of which we have celebrated religiously on this show suspiria um not just dakota johnson not just tilda swin i mean literally every woman in that movie is amazing and deserves something for that movie um but especially yeah how did tilda swinton not get recognized for anything when she plays an old german man a a, a thousand year old blob hut and (laughs) and pina bausch like what yeah and then furthermore maybe the most deserving of recognition this year because i can't think of a single performance that came close to it i mean maybe even suspiria was tony collette in hereditary unbelievable that she did not get nominated how how did that happen like people were nominated for the new mary poppins movie (laughs) but tony collette was ignored for hereditary Yeah, it just, it made me sad, like, not only because I specifically wanted that performance to be recognized, but it made me sad because horror as a genre is just never going to get the props that it deserves. And on the one hand, I understand it because I'm sure old fart voter is thinking that, oh, God, they just handed me Cannibal Holocaust. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what they assume horror is but there's going to be so many amazing performances and and pictures and everything forever and they're just not going to get recognized and i'm not gonna say because this is this is a this is a really tricky thing to say but i'm not saying get out only got nominated because of the amazing like race criticality aspect to that film but i think they knew that because the movie was a horror movie that was also very good, that also hit home with people and also addressed race. I think they made an exception where they thought, okay, we have to nominate this one. Yeah. Well, especially given all the controversy around the award ceremonies and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so I thought, they, well, we have to nominate this one and now we won't have to nominate one for like years. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. So, I mean, I don't expect the Oscars to pick it up and do it right. But Tony Collette, man, I mean, Tilda would be great too. But Tony Collette truly deserves every accolade for Hereditary because it was the one, literally the one performance I saw in theaters that, I mean, besides Suspiria, but that will stick with me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree. As soon, when I was done, that was like m- probably my biggest... First time I saw it, <clears throat> that was probably my biggest takeaway from that film was what a fucking powerhouse. Oh, and she she, she occupies every scene in that movie. She is that movie. She The camera worships her in that film, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the director saying whether or not <laughs> she, she was good in it because of her own talent or because of his script. I can't believe you, you told me that before we went to air, listeners. I got. I was like, Stacy seems happy today. How can I ruin things before we start recording? <laughs> the director of Hereditary is an asshole. Yeah. Oh, that is really disappointing. 
Yeah. So I no, don't know. I agree. It's on the one hand, it's like award ceremonies are caca anyway. On the other hand, I have some award ceremony grudges that I will carry with me to the grave, probably. Oh yeah. And this is one of them. Absolutely. Hopefully the Academy Awards will do the right thing, but I'm not putting it past them since Carol was not nominated for Best Picture. Yep. Homophobia and misogyny right there. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Like, yeah. Come on. But they are adding an Oscar for like popular film. I yeah, are they? I thought they added it and then took it away. Again. They did. Be- they were like because they were like, this is a bad idea. Yeah, they were honestly, like, oh. when I look at the the Golden Globes, I'm like, Black Panther, Best Picture. No, I know it doesn't make any sense. I liked it. I thought it did amazing things for representation, but Best Picture. But it was still a comic book movie full of CGI. Yeah, it was the same as aside from the representation, it was the same as every other comic book movie. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is it's. You know, they're like, okay, this movie has representation. We'll piss off everyone if we don't pay attention to it. That's the, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. But then in the pieces, in the process, it says it's just reinforcing racism by by buying into the expectation that they have. I don't know. I could say something smart about it. Yeah, it's so annoying. So, Tony, you win the Oscar and the Golden Globe of my heart. You get the Gaylord of Darkness of the Year tied with Suspiria. It's like um it's... I just made that decision. I hope you're okay with it. <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely okay with that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's equitable. <laughs> and she's like, "Oh my god, this is the best award I've ever won." <laughs> Cuz she listens to this show. It's a golden corn cob. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Where have I seen that before? <laughs> Stacy is thrown into a vertigo spiral. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Wow, I'm ready to... I hear you're going to talk about Candyman, bitch. Oh, well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get it? You've cornered me in the bathroom. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I feel so assaulted. <laughs> man, Candyman. I feel, I mentioned this before we started recording, I feel like Candyman is having a wee bit of a renaissance, and it didn't need one because I've been telling all of you people for so long that it's amazing and i've always wondered why it didn't get the attention that it deserves and so now i'm happy it's getting more attention but did i'm it, also like duh where were you did Candyman really not get the attention i feel like it i, I just feel like as on the playground and stuff like you know because i'm 12 oh, sure i feel yeah. like Candyman is so ingrained in like my generation's consciousness because it he, it was like something that so many of us saw growing up that um i didn't see it till i was much older but like so many of us saw it growing up and then it being really really uh, an urban legend for my whole generation <laughs> too yeah but i mean like like uh you know you look at any list of like here's the best horror movies it's like it was just always ignored that's true and i wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that it came out in the early 90s when horror there was like what like two joan carpenter movies and Candyman, and then yeah. everything was trash until like scream yeah yeah yeah, it came out at a very strange time, but it's so fucking brilliant. And it holds up, like, oh, it's timeless. This movie, I have to say, I remember I remember thinking, like, well, this movie is, is truly brilliant in how it handles race and brings race into horror. Like, maybe for in one of the first instances, like, pre-Get Out. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. 
And at the same time, I remember thinking like, oh, but I think it could have done several things a lot better um, or could have been a little bit smarter or could have been like less made by a white man. Um, And maybe that still holds up to some extent. But I have to say, having watched it again, this movie is still is even smarter than I remember it being. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I watched it fairly recently with someone and it it is saying stuff that movies still don't really say yeah and it is so about about class and and um and misogyny and And misogyny oh god it's so good it is so richly layered and so um at the same time so dreamlike um despite being set in like the starkness of reality of, of of chicago and the projects um it's so dreamlike and so um uh fairy tale like uh while being absolutely horrifying yeah and all like all of the good smart things about it it also completely just works as a horror film yeah like it's also just an unbelievable horror film and it stars two perfect queens oh my god you need to tell the story of what happened oh my god stay because i when i said that my eyes were watering i wasn't lying i literally like I was having heart palpitations and it was, it was crazy town. I, so dear listeners, <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi, it's me. It's your girl. Um, <laughs> I just got off the phone with my best friend, Virginia Madsen. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. She won't talk to me, but <laughs> so part of why we did this episode um, this week is because I just did a screening for queer horror of Candyman. So we did our usual big giant pre-show, big sold out audience, like had a great time. And then I put the picture up of us backstage, uh, my friend Kimber and I backstage as Helen and as Bernadette. And what happens, but Virginia Madsen pops into the comments and is telling us like, she's like, and she goes back to a previous post where I just shared a picture of Helen and Candyman together. And she's make she's like talking about how her expression must be her horror at her hairstyle, which I think her hair is so cute in that movie. She pulled, I, I went to a, I, I got completely the wrong hair and she still liked this photo, but I went to my wig shop and I was like, I need, I need this. And I showed him a picture of Virginia Madsen and the, the wig maker just goes, Oh <laughs> no. And he goes, but she wears it well. <laughs> it only works on her. It's it a terrible haircut, but she it pulls it off. And Madonna in Papa Don't Preach. Video. Yes, yes, and that's it's, it. It's it's something I like. It's a very like Hellenic. Oh, that maybe that's why her name's Ooh, Helen. It's a very hey. Hellenic like Greek Grecian goddess kind of hair hairstyle. Yeah. Um, I love the haircut too. But so then, and then she reshares the images of us backstage and says like, uh, the ladies we love. And then she says like, there's not enough emo- emojis. Cause she spelled, yes, she so spelled it like pierogies. <laughs> yeah. There's not enough emojis to express my adoration. And so I was blowing up. I could not believe Virginia Madsen was seeing my stuff and commenting oh, on it and, and sharing God. it. I felt touched by God because, and this is, this movie is why I love Virginia Madsen so much. Yeah. I mean, she's great in her other role. She's great in that, um, Witches of, Witches of East End, or what was that TV show she did for a while? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. But I mean, she's wonderful, but I, I entirely love her because of Candyman. So I, long story short, I melted my mind because I was touched by the goddess Helen herself. (laughs) Unbelievable. 
I can't. I still can't get over it. No, and because we do this show together, I feel like I too was touched. I know, right? And now we're just like one comment thread away from like somehow reaching out to her and being like, hey, you want to talk about Candyman again sometime in the future? If you do. Virginia Madsen, just putting that out there. We're just going to put it on our vision boards. We're just going to look into our mirrors and say, Virginia, 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 (laughs) Virginia. God. I mean, it's such a great role. It's just, I, I talked about it with our friend from faculty of horror alex west we talked about it a long time ago about the notion of a final woman like when does the final girl become a final woman and the one we talked about was helen yeah it's such a fucking great role that a lot of women don't even get in horror nowadays and she's just so fantastic oh not enough love not enough love No. no um she and she and Casey Lemons. Casey Lemons is Bernadette in the film. Yeah. Um, another perfect queen. I love Casey yeah. Lemons. I love Casey Lemons, and I'm like, she was the perfect queen partner in Candyman. She was the perfect queen partner in The Silence of the Lambs. Yes. When does Casey Lemons get to have the perfect partner of her own? Yes. Like, where's my Casey Lemons movie? I know. I'm so upset. And, and that's why that's why I love Casey Lemons so much, is because I remember her from. Uh, the first time I saw Candyman, I was like, oh my God, it's Ardelia from Sons of the Lambs. And mm-hmm. I, I, despite how problematic, oh, that word is so overused, but how how problematic Thomas Harris's Hannibal books are, like, I really love the Clarice-Ardelia relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think you get to see really nice flashes of it in the movie of Sons of the Lambs. And then they just wrote out Ardelia entirely for the Hannibal movie, which was still terrible regardless, even though Julie- oh, Julianne Moore tried her best. but um, I like Julianne Moore, but she's, n- I mean, as Clarice, come on now. Yeah, it was. You're it no was, Jodie Foster. It was just weird. In um, my perfect world, Clarice and Ardelia are lesson out. No, and in in the Hannibal book, like they live to it's like ten years later, and they they still live together. And there's like oh. there's definitely something going on. A Boston marriage. Yeah. Oh, oh, and then some. <laughs> <laughs> so in this, our Boston marriage is Bernadette and Helen, oh. and they are two. Uh, way ahead of their time, lady graduate students just making it on their own, um, writing a graduate thesis about urban legends, and they focus in on an urban legend in Chicago in the Cabrini Green Projects, which was a real housing project, um, Mm -hmm. and the urban legend was called the Candyman. If you say his name five times, he'll appear behind you. Oh, I was like, there's sudden a discount on baked beans? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what happens (laughs) yeah it's a weird it's kind of a niche urban legend but because it's like first of all you say his name in the mirror at home and then you have to get to the store to get the beans yeah quick there's a sale at sears there's a flash sale at sears (laughs) beans beans Or bees. Oh, bees. It was bees. I got mistaken. Yes, it's bees. Candyman has the bees come out of him, not beans. Yeah, he has a sale on bees. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, 
the first time I saw I saw this when it played when it opened in the theater. A bunch of friends of mine and I went, and afterwards we were like, "Let's go to the graveyard and say Candyman five times." Like, oh, which is so stupid. God. There was no like, you know, it was stupid, but nobody would do it. No, I I still have never been a. I don't think I've ever done a full Bloody Mary or a full Candyman like to this day because the terror of childhood. Like, Why that- take the chance? That's the scariest thing you can do. And as the beginning of this film points out, you think you're just you're just playing around, and you're just gonna mm-hmm. you're just gonna have a fun, sexy time and say it into a mirror with Ted Raimi, and then. <laughs> okay. By the way, I almost shouted this out in the movie theater, but and maybe you're not the best person to ask. But I was like, I almost was like gonna turn to the movie theater and just say, "Wait, is Ted Raimi hot?" <laughs> like. <I> was, <laughs> It's the hottest he's been, right? He was very attractive in Candyman. He was Man. attractive. I was, yeah. I was really shocked. So anyway, um, <laughs> these are my my revel- my takeaways from the film. <laughs> Maybe aren't as impactful <laughs> or insightful as yours, but Ted Raimi, hot. Who knew? Um, yeah. So that that creepy man will pop out of that mirror, and he will get you. He'll get you, and, and he's is gonna hurt. And he is Tony Todd, who um, it, it also turns out is a babe. And My mom is in love with Tony Todd. I'm like, I'm so used to like, I guess it's like as time has passed, I've become so used to like Final Destination Tony Todd or like he he showed up in that Hellfest movie I liked a lot. Um, right. For some reason, he's been relegated. Like after, you know, this Candyman, which is like, he's a leading man, y'all. Then he got kind of relegated, it seems, to, like, the weirdo in, like, an Adam fucking Green movie. Yeah, which is, oh, oh, he was in that, he's wasn't in Hatchet, he? He's Hatchet, right? Yeah, Isn't he's he? the guy, he's the, like... The ma- voodoo guy. Yeah, that shows up in the beginning and tells them the st- story and... Yeah. God, I hate It's like, no, put, make him, he's the star, come on. Yeah, why did he get... I mean, I think that's, like, racism, though. Oh yeah, because they're just like, oh, he 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 can say some scary lines and show up in a cameo, but he's like he's like a Shakespearean level actor, like, yeah. yep. And and I mean, he really gets to shine in in this and in um the uh, Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead remake where they recast him as the lead. Yes. Yep. Um, and and that also nineteen ninety era, so it's like still a babe too, which is nice. But <laughs> yeah, he and oh, and it was his birthday just this last week so oh, happy wow. birthday tony todd all the stars are aligning yeah Helen. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good tony todd or candy man a fine candy man <laughs> That's the crossover we've all been waiting for. <laughs> yeah. He's so good in this. And he's, he's, so, I, uh, this movie is from, I mean, and this is how I got away with showing it for queer horror. Um, besides Virginia Madsen's gay cult icon status. But, uh, you know, this is from the mind of Clive Barker. Um, it was originally written uh, as a story called The Forbidden in the Books of Blood, I believe. Or it might have been a short story in the Cabal. I don't know. But, um, and in that, the story is so different. I mean, it's it's the same core story, but it's set in England. 
Oh, I've never read it because I don't want to touch this perfect movie. Yeah, it's 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 just the the beginning kernel of an idea, and the movie really makes it its own story. But I do feel like the so like the most diversity that's in the story because it's set in England is like you know Cockney people saying oh I'm not and that's <laughs> and that's it. Um, but in but that that they that Bernard Rose got this movie and they took it and then I mean Clive Barker still executive produced it but like that they turned it into the they set it in America and they created this really rich story about race and slavery, um and the legacy of slavery and like the awkwardness with which we talk about it in American culture today, mm-hmm. um is so brilliant but I do still think the sheer Clive Barkerness of this movie just comes through 100% in Tony Todd and in his dialogue and his constant, like the pain will be exquisite. (laughs) Oh yeah. When he's like, especially the scene where um, Helen summons him in the psychiatrist's office. Yes. And he kills the psychiatrist and it's like, he's getting off sexually on killing these people. Like it has that naughty sexuality. Yeah. And he's very uncomfortable sexuality. And that's why Candyman is so alluring as a villain, because it's like, he's horrible and terrifying and all this, but he's also attractive. Yes. And that's, what's so nice. Like the first time you see Candyman and Helen meet when Helen is walking through that car park. Um, and it's actually really funny because she's like, she is, she is like just a post eighties girl, early nineties gal walking, <laughs> walking around. She's like really excited. She's looking at her slides, looking at her slides. She is smiling. She is buzzing. She is beaming. And then, <laughs> and then she hears that Helen, you want, you want Helen. <laughs> <laughs> she she hears that and then she goes, who's there? Yeah. <laughs> Which actually got a huge laugh in the theater at Queer Horror because she's just like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm Helen. Yes. <laughs> who, who this be? <laughs> How you doing? Can I, can I help you find anything? Yeah. Um, but the first time that they meet and that they see each other face to face, she's simultaneously horrified, but then the camera keeps, the editing keeps switching to another shot of her where she's like, sort of hypnotized yeah she's mesmerized yeah mesmerized absolutely by him yeah and so there's definitely this weird um there's there is a a attraction repulsion a very clive barker thing in there which sometimes it can be just so like oh clive i get it you're like really horny for blood (laughs) but right yeah yeah but it, I think in this story with the, with the, the especially with that Philip Glass music, mm-hmm. um, it just, it really does create sort of this beautiful nightmare kind of yes. vibe, you know? And it works because it ties into Candyman's whole backstory and, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it makes sense for there to be this attraction. Mm-hmm. Because, so, and this is something that I, did not come through to me as much in the screening, um, and Jason and I had to talk about this a little, but like, so he sees, is it just, are we just made aware that he is drawn to her um, because he, like, is she supposed to be a reincarnation of, is it, like a, is it like a Dracula kind of thing where it's like, I see the portrait and now I must possess her. Like, right. That's kind of what I took from it is that she reminded him of, um, but then he's like, it's always you, Helen. So- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, so she... I mean, maybe, but I think it, I think it was more of a just I don't know. 
Yeah, when she walks into like Ruthie Jean's apartment, or I think it's Ruthie Jean's, and it's it it says it's it was always you, Helen, and there's that um that it looks like what might have been his old portrait of her that he was commissioned to create. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he fell in love with the when he fell in love with the the white woman back in the right. back in the post slavery immediately post slavery days. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what did they do in the sequel. See, I I kind of wish that we had decided to watch the sequels to complement this. Even though I wish, even though I'm glad we didn't, because the, I just remember the second one being so terrible. Yeah. Um. Even though it was directed by Bill Condon, which. Hmm. I don't know. Sometimes he does great stuff. Sometimes he does terrible stuff. But yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. Because I was like, how does? Because the sequel is Veronica Cartwright and it's New Orleans, and it's yeah. Like, that's I mean, like all I remember. All I remember is that, and that I didn't like it. Everything else has been purged. Yeah, it's bad. And then they take the yeah. Phil- they take the Philip Glass score, but they add a ton of synthesizer. And usually, I'm <sighs> for adding synth. Like if you look at the the original Halloween soundtrack versus Halloween two. Like I love Halloween two way more with that synth in there, but, mm. but in, in with the Philip class music, it just doesn't really work. Um, that said, I am here for Veronica Cartwright, but I, the movie is really bad and it just, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they justify a sequel well enough. Um, and also like, yeah, how did he get to new Orleans? Because he's so ingrained in Chicago. That's something. <laughs> right. And wasn't he destroyed? Basically, yeah. the, like, wasn't that the point? He exploded into an explosion of bees. Yeah. Of beans? Bees. Bees. Bees? Yeah. Bees. 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 Okay. Oh, my God. That's why it's New Orleans. It was beads. He exploded into a <laughs> cloud of Mardi Gras beans. And everyone goes, it's Fat Tuesday. Hey! Oh, my titties. Yeah, woo! <laughs> bees gone wild. <laughs> The whole yeah. movie. Yeah, it's just Candyman lifting up his top and then bees flying out. <laughs> that would be I didn't amazing. I expect that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, so I didn't know, I couldn't remember or don't know or whatever, if they ever like definitively said Helen was, you know, Carnation, Carnation. Or yeah. just unfortunately reminded him of someone, and her life was ruined because of it. Yeah, it seems like it seems like it's it's just more about a f- obsession and a fixation, and a and also there's that wonderful thing about um how because you know they go into the Cabrini Green, um, and also oh this is something that I really want to talk about briefly is like this movie is really smart. Um, the thing that I think is smartest about this film is those interactions of. Helen and Bernadette going to Cabrini Green for the first time. Yes. And everyone thinking they're, you know, like there's all this, like, we're going to think we're cops. Helen kind of just, there's some white saviory stuff with Helen. Um, mm-hmm. I love her so much, but I mean, I mean, yeah, th- there's a lot of interesting things about how she moves through the world versus how Bernadette moves through the world or versus how the Cabrini Green citizens move through the world. Mm-hmm. Um Helen just kind of like just storms in and, and, you know, she's like, we'll be fine. We just, we're just going to go up to the room and, and we'll say we work for the university. Bernadette's a lot more like she's got her taser. She's got her, <laughs> her yeah. mace. She's got, she's like packing up an arsenal as Helen calls it. Yeah. Um, when they finally make it up to, to meet Anne Marie, the first woman that they really interact with, who kind of tells them a little bit more about the projects and the, the legends there. Um, there's something really brilliant and it always struck me 
because because around the time that I first saw Candyman, I was really deep in critical race theory in school, and I was reading this piece called "The Phenomenology of Whiteness" by Sarah Ahmed, who's a queer scholar and theorist. And she talks about whiteness as a thing that is something that is stepped into and worn. It's not really, it's not necessarily about skin color. It's it's more like a a, a tool by which um, others are oppressed, and that it can be people can be recruited to it. And it's it's kind of more of a class, like racism and whiteness, and that is kind of more has a basis in class and privilege, um, and skin color ties into that. But I think this movie expresses that in a really ahead of its time way when they go in and when Helen and Bernadette go into Anne-Marie's apartment and Anne-Marie kind of looks at both of them and says, we don't get a lot of white folks around here. And Mm. she says that to both of them. And Bernadette like is visibly shaken by hearing that um, and by kind of being read as a white person. And she sort of steps out of Anne-Marie's kitchen and like kind of looks down and steps away from her. Mm-hmm. and kind of gets closer to Helen. And it's like just that little tiny gesture I think is so brilliant. Um, right. Yeah. So so after after they have that first interaction at Cabrini Green, um then Helen goes back and then she sees the the real life Candyman who's like that gang leader. Yeah. And he's kind of the 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 living manifestation of Candyman. Um and Helen turns him in and then I love that that's kind of the root for Candyman's um, fixation with Helen is like, she was this noble white woman that went in and literally destroyed his congregation, as he calls it. He just, she destroyed the faith in Candyman um, by, by sort of putting a, a living human face on Candyman and explaining away the urban legend of it and taking away the magic of it. Hmm. And so he's basically saying now i must shed innocent blood now you must you must be my new victim so that they can believe in me again right yeah yeah she's the the white savior on one hand and she completely brings about so much ruin on the other by oh her, my god by like not listening to bernadette really by not you know like she's aware of like the white black divide you know mm-hmm. like when she is released and she's like well yeah i'm white or when she gets a uh, help when she gets uh medical attention yeah after screaming in the bathroom and she and like ruthie and that's you know the whole plot point of ruthie jean like not getting like the, the ambulances didn't come and helen's like well i was white i'm white so yep they came for me right away like I, that moment really shocked me because i'm like wow this is you're just stating it so plainly <laughs> the horror movie in 1992 1992 like, wow. yeah like How i mean ahead of a time ahead of its time it's incredible and i mean we were right off the heels of like of the la riots like post rodney king yeah um it's just it's just shocking uh how smart this movie is and how so many i don't i can't really think of it i mean get out addressed race in a completely different way um but i can't think of a movie that another movie that really does this no not so blatantly you have like stuff like you know oh night of the living dead it was so revolutionary to have a black man as the hero you know like stuff you have to extrapolate from the film whereas Candyman just lays it all out there yeah and like points the finger at a lot of white people and is a great horror movie at the same time and is a great horror movie at the same time um then 
what I also love is like, while yes, we can talk about Helen and all of her white savior attributes and just walking in wherever she wants. Um, we also get a really great sort of intersectional balance to that. So we see like, I mean, there might, there is the aspect of like, she's white and the ambulance will come for her. And she feels like she can just walk in wherever she wants. But at the same time, Helen is also fueled by like gaslighting. She's in many ways, Helen is a victim of gaslighting, both in her relationship with Candyman, how he's always framing her for all Mm -hmm. of the murders. Um, And then that echoes back to the gaslighting at home in her relationship with Trevor. Yes. Who is one of the greatest fucks of all time (laughs) in in cinema. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yep. He's amazing. Like, I, this movie holds up so well. And when I introduce someone to it, they were, like, on their feet when she showed up at the end. And oh. got it. <laughs> like, Let me tell you. It's so satisfying. The uh, My favorite thing about queer horror is, I mean, it's literally 400 people in this movie theater. And hearing this audience screaming and cheering when Helen shows up at the end. And she's like... It's funny because I I call her Helen when I refer to both the Candy Woman Helen and Helen. I just like, oh yeah, I added just Helen. Yeah, I added. I just I add a little more weight to how I say Helen when I talk about the the (laughs) Helen at the end of the movie because it's like it's her super cyan. It's her ultimate form, you know. Right, exactly. She, it's her Andy Rooney, like, (laughs) (laughs) like. When she is Helen at the end, and just hearing this audience just like screaming as yeah. as she gives he- um, Trevor True. like finally what he deserves this whole movie, and yeah. and she you know she is she is having to stand up and she's having to to put herself in these situations because while while there's elements of white privilege and what what fuels like kind of the ignorance with which she puts herself in these situations she's also challenging herself to do this because she has to one-up her husband who is literally stealing her work and teaching it and she's like has to beg him like you promised me you wouldn't you wouldn't lecture about this until after my thesis was published right because he'll be stealing the thunder from her yeah yeah and i i love that helen is not motivated solely by her work like that's her ultimate goal but it's she's also like fueled by the injustice of everything yeah you know you know like the race and the class issues really propel the plot like i mean that's how she she if she didn't realize that she was just living in an expensive project mm-hmm. with the whole bathroom thing and that her it was the same apartment as what ruthie jean was living in yeah you just... know, she might never have gone into that apartment right you know and that but. even even that little detail is so brilliant like they <laughs> they needed a divide between the ghetto and the nice homes mm-hmm. and so they just took helen's apartment which was also a project and then just sold it as a condo and helen paid how much more for it than what ruthie mm-hmm. jean could afford to live there yeah don't ask yeah it's just, yeah don't ask it's brilliant just those those little there's so much thought in this screenplay yeah and I think that's maybe that's why it's having a little bit of a renaissance or something like it just it feels very 2018. Like, it does. These are things we're talking about now. Like we didn't really talk about things like that in the larger picture. Yeah. Yeah. This this is addressing gaslighting. It's addressing um, uh, 
uh, gentrification, racism, slavery, um, uh, not believing women, misogyny, like... Yeah, uh, things that weren't part of the everyday conversation in 1992, but they are now. Yeah, And, and another thing that happens, like, there's Trevor taking her work... And then there's also the scene, the scene that always stuck out to me as something that I really didn't like about the movie. But now I'm kind of like, I think I was just more of an angry feminist. And now I'm maybe more of an angry feminist that kind of thinks sometimes. But (laughs) maybe I was just a reactionary feminist back then. But Mm. that scene with Purcell, aka Trevor's boss. Yeah. um, When they go to dinner with him. And he is just like the definition of like a dude I want to slap. Mm-hmm. he's like sitting there with his helena marcos just eating his spaghetti and, he, <laughs> and he's got his stupid hair and and the first thing he says is like oh so what are my most beautiful graduate students up to yeah he immediately equates them to their beauty bernadette and helen both kind of share a look with each other immediately upon hearing that and helen just says you know um like, oh, what does she say to him? But she says something really great. Like, we're, we're going to... Oh, we're going to bury you? We're going to bury you. Because he's like, oh, I already researched that project. Or I already know all about urban legends. And she just says, we're going to bury you. Yeah. And Tra- I hate that, it, like, he's right, though. When Yes! He's like, <laughs> it's so frustrating. <laughs> and Trevor, it's so nice because Trevor is like... Um, Trevor's like, Helen, watch yourself. And he's trying to keep her in check. And Bernadette's even trying to appease him. But yes, it's it that buildup is so nice because it's like, okay, this is structural. It's not just her relationship with her husband, who's also sort of her boss. It's also with his boss and the right. guy overseeing her thesis in the department. Um, but then that's the one point that really still upsets me in the script. And I think could have been thought through a little bit more is why is he the one that knows the story, the real story of Candyman and then has to teach Helen it. Right. Where I'm like, couldn't that story have come to us from Anne Marie or, you know? Right. Yeah. That's true. Because I'm That's just true. like. But I mean, he's the historian, I guess. Right? Yeah, but like, his he... hair is so stupid, Stacey. Uh, he's a Ben Franklin looking motherfucker. He is a Ben Franklin looking motherfucker. <laughs> I hate him. He's got wooden yeah. teeth. He's... <laughs> he's got that fucking kite. Yeah. For no reason. He thinks he's a rock star, even though it's 17 whatever, bicentennial (laughs) man. Yeah. But you know what that does give, though, that little twist is it gives that great fucking line reading by Virginia Madsen where he's like, you do know the story, don't you? And she's like, no. Like, she has to give him that. Yeah. And she just, it's just such a beautiful line reading. I love it so much. And it just repels her. Yeah, that's nice. It's nice, but right, it's it just sucks that she does get dressed down by him. Yeah, in the and maybe I mean maybe that's important that that the fact that he still knows more and that there is a when she thought she was making such leaps and bounds when they were just taking right. credit already. Maybe that does well fuel a lot her of passion. it. Yeah, a lot of it also is Helen charging in when she's not quite prepared to charge in, but yeah. she charges in anyway. Yeah. But I think it's so it's so brilliant, though, I think still intersectionally, just that we can look at it as she's doing that because of white privilege. She's doing that because of ignorance. But also also here's the real realities of sexism and gaslighting and all this stuff that also fuels her. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. That's it's almost as if someone has written a complex woman's role. (laughs) 
It's weird, right? <laughs> like, in 1992? <laughs> in 1992. Like, it just continue. It still blows me away how great it is and how amazing she is and well-rounded. And it's still rare. And think of how fucking rare it was in 1992. Yeah. Like, we don't deserve Helen. We don't. We truly don't deserve Helen. And here's what I gotta say. I hope with this new sequel that's coming out that has just been announced that Jordan Peele is producing that Nia DaCosta, a black woman director is handling. She's directing it. Yeah. Um, And it's set in Cabrini green once again, but Mm -hmm. now Cabrini green, which is a real place has been gentrified. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is the most brilliant way to update this movie and to, to, to bring it right back from where it was in 1982. Um, I really hope that Helen shows up in it. <laughs> oh, God. Please. Even though we can argue it's not her story, I want... <sighs> I Somehow, somewhere, she's got to be in it, right? I mean, she's certainly... Because this is like a sequel slash rebooting yeah is that right like yeah. so it's not they're not it's not remaking it's not Can't. a remake they're saying okay. it is a direct sequel to the first so, one okay then she has to figure into it somehow even if we never see her because at the end of Candyman, she's passed into legend and they're you know the little funeral well little the huge funeral p- procession that she has like she has passed into their myth yeah like yeah. their their culture and their myths so yeah and Candyman actually isn't around anymore yeah um she's I, got the hook baby i would love <laughs> i would she's got the hook i would i would i would no never be sorry please release an album <laughs> i would love it if Tony, I mean, obviously they have to bring back Tony Todd. He has to be Candyman. He has to be the lead. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how they're going to make this all happen. I, I really hope they do that. Yeah. I'm just like, please bring back Helen in some fashion. Like, even right. if I just see her, like, like maybe, maybe they're, they cut to a scene where there's a men's rights retreat and they all say Helen and then she just slaughters <laughs> all of them. Oh, dare to dream. Like some some Gamergate nerds are playing Call oh. of Duty and she pops on the TV and kills them and then cut back and return to the rest of the story as as scheduled. Like Yeah. That's fun. That's all I need. I just want that, please. Just that. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, because gosh. yeah, Candyman is sort of this urban legend that was born out of slavery and Helen's sort of the new urban legend that's born out of uh, white privilege and sexism. So mm-hmm. Come on, make it happen. Who better now to be our avenging our avenging angel? Oh, could you what if it what what if the new one is a buddy movie and it's like it's like Black Lives Matter and Me Too. Like they handle they got it all. <laughs> and it's just them hooking people left and right. Oh my god. Gosh. <laughs> a girl can dream. A girl is dreaming. <laughs> Um, one, my last big moment with this movie, my favorite scene is Helen coming home, breaking out of the uh, asylum oh, yeah. and saying, I don't like the color scheme as Trevor and his new lady are painting the house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that whole scene of her, like, ter- like as a femme troll terrorizing them and being like, 
Call the call the hospital. Call the hospital. I, I love that that girl is literally shaking. She's like terrified. She is fucking terrified. I love it so much. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And that character must have. I mean, I love that she got framed. Like she gets hers too at the end. Yeah, she becomes kind uh, of the new Helen in a way, or she's set up to be yep. the new one. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's so beautiful. So I beautiful hope film. my. I also hope the sequel addresses what happened to Ted Raimi. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and is he actually hot? Or is he I... actually hot, or was it just the leather jacket? <laughs> was it just that leather jacket? It always looked weird because he also still looked like he was 40. Yeah, but it was like <laughs> a 20-year-old, 40-year-old. A 20-year-old, 40-year-old, you know? <laughs> it was always kind of weird. He had that sleaze. I get it. I like sleaze. Yeah. Sometimes you get a scuzzy, get a scuzzy Raimi in a leather jacket. Oh. I love a little scuzz <laughs> once in a while, you know? What's wrong with that? <laughs> He's a, like a, that burnout guy, you know? He's like a burnout. Yeah, a burnout Ted. Ugh. Burnout Ted. Oh, and I'm like, oh, you probably have like all these issues because your brother's like more successful than, oh. <laughs> yeah. does it for me. <laughs> but he's such a Forrest Gump because he shows up so randomly in it's places. It's true, it's true. He was in Blood Rage randomly. Yeah. Like, you never know when he's like, just say his name. You don't even have to say his name five times. He's like, I'm a hair. So Ted Raimi is the true candy man. He's the true candy man. That's what we learned. <laughs> we learned. I think if they had no other intended takeaway for this film, it was that. <laughs> It's its most lasting, uh, you know, <laughs> legacy. <laughs> oh, Candyman. It's so great. It's so sad. Like, I still, even though she becomes, like, the perfect avenging nightgown-wearing, cantaloupe-headed looking lady. <laughs> the cantaloupe rind? A cantaloupe rind on her head. I still just get so sad for Helen. Like, you know. It sad. is... I will say it the my previous reading I was just really sad for her and really it was tragic but at the same time in the second viewing maybe it was hearing the whole audience cheer for her but I'm like you know what she did get to be immortal and she got it's to It's true. She got to outlive Trevor. I mean sure she had to get burnt alive. She doesn't have the haircut anymore. But Well that's true. <laughs> it's a plus or a minus. So I it is it is really sad but I'm like at least you know she'll never get to she'll never get to one up Purcell unless he says Helen five times into a mirror. <laughs> yeah, um, but at the very least, she got to outlive that Trevor piece of shit. And maybe she, maybe she, maybe Bernadette's there too. You know. Oh, that's my also my one gripe with this film is I want more Bernadette and yeah, yeah. Her death was tragic, but I felt it could have been even more built up, or there could have been even more of their relationship when when Helen is in and out of jail or the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Because she just shows up with flowers and then she's dead. <laughs> oh, she brings her flowers. Yeah. They should have been... Why is Trevor? They should have been girlfriends. They should have been. Honestly, that's... Listen, Nia DaCosta. Listen, Jordan Peele. It's us, your girls, the gay lords. We want to not only see Tawny Ta- Todd... <laughs> My favorite bean salesman. We want to not just see him come back. We want to see Helen come back and kill a Gamergate group 
And yeah. we want to see her in deep Les love with her immortal bestie, Bernie. Is that too much to ask? No. It's no. not enough to ask, really. No, if Luca was making it, they would all be Tilda Swinton and they'd all be gay. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this is a small request from us to you. Thank you. Thank you. And also thank, thank you for making this movie because I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> It, yeah, I'm actually like, I, I saw, you know, the headline. And I was like, no, don't remake Candyman. It's still so perfect and it's still so timely and it doesn't need any like, no, but I'm looking forward to what they do because yeah. they're checking a lot of boxes that I like. I think this the sequel news really does it. And um, a, a black woman director handling this is just unbelievable, es- especially coming off the heels of Jason Blum's endless bullshittery of there's not a there's not a lot of woman directors at all actually yep um and and for jordan peele to then immediately one up that and say oh yeah well guess what yep (laughs) one of them is directing candy woman and she's black yeah she's getting like a major franchise so thanks so cool and it just it feels so appropriate because as smart as this movie is and as good as it is, like, I can't wait to see Black Voices leading the story. Yes. Um, especially, I mean, Clive Barker's story, like I said, it wasn't about race. It was white people in England. Um, and then they they adapted it in a way that was really, really ahead of its time and really thoughtful. But now to, to pass the torch to Black people and Black artists to make this is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, oh, and also there can't be anyone better than Jordan Peele to oversee it. So like, right. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so great. It's going to be great. I hope as long as there's no, just keep David Gordon Green very far away. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask for his opinion on anything. Right. Exactly. I don't think we have to worry. No, I think, I think Nia won't listen to that idiot. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Oh, Helen, 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 Helen. Ah, oh, stop, Helen, stop! Helen. Ah! <laughs> What's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? <laughs> oh, so good. And she was getting off on it, too. See that weird Clive Barker sexuality thing in there? Mm-hmm. That's, I will, the the 1990s, the, this movie also did take me back to the the glory days of the 1990s, like the goth gay 1990s. Mm. where it was like clive barker poppy z bright and rice (laughs) everything was like blood and crushed velvet (laughs) (laughs) and like fucking each other with knives yeah while saying like sumptuousness (laughs) (laughs) it's exquisite exquisite sumptuous pain The agony. <laughs> and it's just so gay. Yeah, it's so true. It's so easy to laugh at, but like, you know, that was as a little queer kid, that right. That overarching theme driving late 80s and 90s horror was really important. So thanks. It was really it was transgressive, man. Yeah, I can laugh at it now, but thanks for thanks for thanks for putting in the work, y'all, our elders. Right. Exactly. Yeah, if if that stuff was going on and I was like fifty years old, I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, yeah. what is this?" Oh, you kids! But you know, when you're young and that's all going on, you're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> that said, I get it. I get it. 
That said, if I revisit it, like Lost Souls by Poppy Zebright today, and it's like, and then Susie went to the tape deck and put on her new Bauhaus record. Like, <laughs> Jesus and Mary Chain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too much. Good times. Good times. Stacy, do we have a listener question? We sure do. Oh my God, stop the presses. It's Gaylord's Listener Question Hour. Woo! Oh gosh, an hour. Bloop, 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 bloop. Whoa. Yeah, it's a whole hour of, of just me doing that. <laughs> bloop, bloop, bloop. Just scatting. <laughs> it's like ASMR. It is. Thank you. Thank you. I just got certified. <laughs> An ASMR scat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that word scat. You know, maybe you're just not German enough, Stacey. I mean, that could be. (laughs) I mean, I understand it's a jazz thing, but my mind immediately goes to the other thing, and I just don't like it. That's because you're a dirty birdie. Dirty birdie. You dirty birdie. (laughs) Dirty birdie. They're all going to laugh at me. Gobble, gobble, gobble. And I like it. <laughs> Blow that whiskey breath in my face. Cause I like it. But now I'm just imagining <laughs> I'm just imagining Tippy Hedron staring at a bird that's just monologuing to her. <laughs> Tippy. She's been through some shit. Oh, she has. Yep. Oh, well. Anyway. Uh, okay. So the question this week comes from Jez. Jez, what you got for us? I don't give us? out people's last names, you know? That's good. We don't need to, to send. Uh... They don't need to be doxxed. Yeah, by the kids. By the k- hackers who but listen to this show. They are co- our 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 <laughs> fan group of Russian hackers <laughs> and Gamergate boys. They make up the bulk of our audience, I'm sure. Oh, I wonder what those faggots have to say today. Those <laughs> <laughs> well, SJW faggots. <laughs> They're just masturbating furiously <laughs> while listening to us talk about Jamie Lee. Ah, uh, it's exquisite! <laughs> oh, the pain! <laughs> the pain! Oh, they're the you. presentation! They're... Ah! Talk like Deborah Hill one more time! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. We oh. do love and respect all of our listeners. All of no matter <laughs> how you like to jerk off. <laughs> God, I mean, this is what Clive Barker gets us. Imagine if we do a Hellraiser episode. It's just going to be a full-on blood orgy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <sighs> okay, the question this week is, what trope do you feel is underused that you'd like to see more of or make a comeback or just in general you appreciate? Mmm. 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 This is a tough one. Mm. This is a toughie. So, okay, my first instinct is like, is the lady being the killer? 
Oh, like that's and I'm, true. I'm thinking Rebecca Gayhart in Urban Legend. Like that's my as fa- always. That's my. I mean, that's all I think about. That's my favorite thing about Urban Legend is that she's the killer, and it's like it's Rebecca Gayhart, you guys. It's like yeah, <laughs> I would like to see a little bit more of the lady did it. Nice. Yeah. Get on board with that. Yeah, that's what oh. I. That's what I want. I'll tell you what trope I don't want to see more of. Oh, dip um is unless if they do it right like in sleepaway camp is the trans killer trope yeah um because that got overdone in every single thing ever (laughs) yeah Uh, and that 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 still surfaces i mean i can't think i think the most recent instance of that was um insidious 2 where the bride in black is revealed to actually be the boy in black, but his mother forced him to dress as a woman and it made him a crazy oh killer. Oh my God. Are you serious? I never saw Insidious 2, despite the fact that it's got Roseburn in it. Oh, Roseburn and, um, the, I mean, I, I like it because it's star, like the lead is, um, oh my God, Barbara Hershey. Oh shit. Yeah, she's the lead of the movie. So that's, I, I love it for that reason. But But once again, it's got that, it's got that trope in it. It's like we've That's seen bad. that we've seen that in Soap Dish. We've seen that in Silence of the Lambs. We've seen that in Sleepaway Camp. We've seen that in yeah. um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Jurassic Park. The dinosaurs can change sexes. Like we've seen. <laughs> it's in everything. It's so sick yeah. and tired. The one time I do like it is Sleepaway Camp, and we can talk about that on a future episode, but that's what I don't want to see more of. So there's my long answer nobody asked for. <laughs> I agree with it. <laughs> so let more Rebecca Gayhart, less less trans killers. Yeah. Here, here. Tropes are hard, because tropes are tropes, you know? And it's like so many horror tropes, I'm just, I could never see. Like, I'm even like Final Girls. You know, don't tell my blog this, <laughs> but <laughs> like the final girl's kind of tired, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's why it's time to do something new. It's time to do something new with it. Yeah. Yeah. But a trope that I have always enjoyed and you don't see nowadays uh, is the anchor woman in peril. Oh, there are a lot of anchor woman in peril films back in the like late seventies, early eighties, and I love them. Give me some like, examples. I'm like uh, visiting hours with Lee Grant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the anchor woman who mm-hmm. you know. It's usually some weirdo viewer becoming fixated on this anchor woman for whatever reason, right? Oh yeah, but um. Yeah, Visiting Hours, Eyes of a Stranger, starring Lauren Tweez, who you may know from Love Boat. Oh my god. She was Julie, the cruise director. And perhaps the biggest one that, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if not, we should maybe talk about it. But a made-for-TV film from 1978, I think, called Someone's Watching Me. <gasps> no, I've, 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 I think I've read you write about it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, written and directed by John Carpenter really um, yeah starring lauren hutton who oh. is oh. lauren hutton a lesbian i think that's always been like the urban legend right i feel like i feel like um i stand her or ship her as one whatever the kids say regardless yeah, regardless <laughs> but lauren hutton who's amazing and starring adrian barbeau as a lesbian oh we're doing it we're talking about it yeah so someone's watching me 
We are watching you, movie. <laughs> I actually would love to do a Anchor Woman in Peril episode. That yeah, would be great. it's such a fun subgenre because they're like they're plucky. You know what I mean? They're like plucky ladies. I love a plucky who gal. Wear blazers. See, that's my aesthetic right there. Yeah, uh, let's do Anchor Woman in Peril episode. There's let's three do movies. It. I mean, uh, yeah, Eyes of Strangers, Someone's Watching Me, Visiting Hours. I think New Year's Evil features. Is she a DJ or an anchor woman? I don't know. I left at the, I, it, that was the third movie in the all night horror marathon we did for the Hollywood. And I left at that point because I was, I ate too many edibles and I had to go home. I had to go home. Yeah, I've never seen it. So, but I feel like she's either a DJ or an anchor woman. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess, like, maybe one of the modern movies that's kind of a descendant might be, like, Record. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of when you said that. Yeah. Because I I haven't seen a lot of those movies, so I clearly need to. But seeing as how, like, you know, the internet has taken over from, like, network news, it's just not a popular genre. (laughs) Blogger in peril. (laughs) Blogger in peril! That's me. (laughs) There you are. It's yeah. just not a thing. And they also felt like women. You know what I mean? I mean, they were career women. But it was like, here's the main character. the And she's fucking Lee Grant, who is just always cranky and everything. And she's always been 45 years old. You know? <laughs> Versus now, it's where it's like... You know? But nowadays, it's like, kids want to watch kids. They don't want to watch a 45-year-old cranky lady. Yeah, they want to see an influencer in peril. They want to see a YouTube personality. Yeah. I say, as I go to the theater to see and enjoy, you know, unfriended dark web. <laughs> but Well, we all have our kinks. We are. <laughs> it's exquisite! <laughs> so just fisting and crushed velvet. <laughs> That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. Well, good. That's a future episode. That'll be, I look forward to that already. I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. So, yeah. Well, thanks for the question, Jez. What a great, what a great train of thought that let us down. Indeed. And if you, yes, you listener have a question. You can email it to us, gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com, or leave it on our social medias or our Facebook page, Facebook slash Gaylords of Darkness. There are many ways to reach us, and you can reach us all of those ways. Please exactly. send us questions, and we will answer them. And uh, if you if you enjoy the show, if you feel like it warrants uh, at least one bean or bead or bee, <laughs> then please... Go on the interweb, the, what is it called? iTunes? Go iTunes. On, go on iTunes. Go on the one tune, plural. <laughs> and leave us a review and rate us. Sure. And that helps, that helps people see that this is happening. Also, I just found out you can recommend us on our Facebook community page because someone did that. <laughs> and I didn't know that was possible. Oh, wow. So you can leave reviews on our Facebook page as well. Um, and that That's also, nice. That's yeah, that, easy. that also ups the algorithm of people that see stuff. So please, if you, if you got the time and you're feeling, um, giving this holiday season, Chris, spread some uh, cheer on a Gaylord's Darkness page. Yeah. Cause we're just little babies. We're just little babies. 
<laughs> we just want people to, you know, it's how people find out about stuff. It is. So, so make it happen. And, and, and thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're officially that podcast now. And thanks. Thank you. We're yeah. We're Jennifer Tilly. And <laughs> I wish. We're here to say, I wish too. Oh. Gosh. Did you? Well, I'm not going to go into a whole thing about the Tilly sisters. But if you are wanting some wholesome internet content, then subscribe or follow or whatever the fuck. Jennifer Tilly and Meg Tilly on Instagram. Meg Tilly's gray haired Christmas. Oh. You know. Angel. When they hang out together, <clears throat> it's just so wholesome. It'll make you feel good. I need a TV. I need a whole TV series to follow. I need I need them to do a Real Housewives of the Tillies and just just follow Jennifer and Meg and their oh. other sister and Tiffany. It's a little it's a little hard for me now seeing Meg as the like mom. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie because she was a big root for me. Yeah, she. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I can see that. Back in the Psycho 2 days. Oh, Psycho 2. Psycho 2 is fucking great. It's so much better than it has any right to be. It's so good. It should be so bad. And it's so good. It's almost as if we should do an episode about that. Hmm. Hmm. My goodness. Just add that to my list of things to forget. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yay. Well, bye. Bye. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, oh, oh my god! god. Oh, oh my god. god! Tune in next time for more Gators of Darkness! Ha, 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 ha.